talked about last week is kind of a break. It's a change of pace in the book of Revelation. First three chapters are zeroed in on Christ himself in glorified fashion, revealed himself to John, and then gave John an assignment to write seven letters to seven churches. Revelation 4 begins with a glimpse, a vision of heaven. But the first verse of Revelation 4 said, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. We see this term, after this, seven times in the book of Revelation. And it has kind of produced some confusion in modern in the modern church because most people who don't understand the language that the original writers wrote in kind of assume this suggests there is a chronology, meaning that this happened and then after that this happened, then after that this happened. And we will visit this point again throughout our lesson, lessons in Revelation. But I am taking, you're allowed to disagree with me, I am taking this term after this as kind of an idiomatic term. That's not a bad word. Idiomatic literally means peculiar to or characteristic of a particular, particular language. You can go everywhere around the United States and in certain areas you're going to find some particular phrases that are particular to that area of the, even though we all speak English there are idiomatic phrases that we use years ago I had a very good friend who was born and raised in Utah when they moved to North Carolina she said she was sitting at the back of her classroom in high school and the teacher asked her to crack a window <laughs> you want me to break it I was watching a little YouTube video the other day about southern expressions, how to understand them. And it had this skit where this woman from up north had come down and was meeting her new neighbors in the neighborhood in the south. I think they were in Georgia. And she was jotting down all of these new phrases and trying to understand them. And she was telling her neighbor who was being helpful what she had learned and said, do you mean that so-and-so told you, bless your heart? Yeah, I thought that was so wonderful. No, she doesn't like you. <laughs> so there are idiomatic phrases in every language, and I'm, I'm kind of taking this after this, not as a chronological step of this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. The Lord is giving John visions. This is what else you must know and understand. I've told you this. Now learn this. Share it with the church. I've told you that. Now learn this and share it with the church. And we'll see evidence that perhaps I might be correct as we go through this. There's been too much confusion in the church because we keep expecting to see things happen in order. And we think that the revelation the prophecies in Revelation aren't taking place yet because they haven't happened in order. But we might see something new. 
might give us deeper understanding and might help to encourage our hearts. Last week we saw the purpose of the church. We saw God's example for the church, God and the expected practice by the church. We were challenged to reverence the Lord, to worship him in spirit and in truth. We have holiness that is provided by Christ. That is our cloak. That is our our mantle. And we are to be submissive to his authority. And at the end of chapter 4, we see the heavenly host crying out in John's vision in heaven, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, chapter 5, I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we'll just kind of stroll through the rest. When I saw in the right hand of him, him the Father, who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Allow me to pause for prayer for God's blessing, and then we will move further into this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us your word and its truth, and we pray for your spirit to guide us, to open up our minds, to understand plainly what is before us. This book has been a mysterious challenge for so many people, and it's, it's meant to help us and to encourage us. It's meant to provide wisdom and understanding, and we seek to find that here this morning for we long to see your glory we long to see your power open our eyes Lord we ask this humbly in your name Amen in his book The Sovereignty of God the late Arthur Pink wrote there is a fundamental difference between the man of faith and the man of unbelief The unbeliever is of the world. He or she judges everything by worldly standards, views life from the standpoint of personal time and personal sense, and weighs everything in the balances of his or her own carnal feelings or desires. But the man of faith trusts in God, looks at everything from God's standpoint, estimates values by his eternal spiritual standards, and views life in light in the light of eternity. Doing this, he or she receives whatever comes as from the hand of God. Doing this, his or her heart is calm in the midst of the storm. Doing this, he or she rejoices in hope of the glory of God. I hope you can claim that you are clearly on the side of the believer, that you see that you judge and discern everything by God's standard and by his word. That you do not interpret this world by your feelings and your desires, 
Because if you profess Christ and you're still living as a carnal believer, you're just going to be confused and the anxiety in your life is just going to escalate. Our proposition for today's message kind of is rooted in that. Scripture repeatedly reminds us to trust our sovereign Lord in all things. As he exercises sovereign authority against sin and rebellion, the events in this world will produce more and more anxiety. We're going to see this morning in our lesson that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only Redeemer and Savior, he is appointed to be judge over all. And we don't always realize that. We need to be aware of it. That's why we are saying this morning the scripture repeatedly reminds us to trust our sovereign Lord in all things, and he exercises sovereign and he exercises sovereign authority against sin and rebellion. The events in this world will produce more and more anxiety as God judges rebellion. When we consider and respect Revelation 4 and 5, it is important to see. If we can value the lessons there, then the rest of the book falls in place. I think it is appropriate that after the letters to the churches, John has given visions about the glory of the court of heaven. The triune God seated, enthroned, present in the heavens. Because everything else circles around that. Revelation 5.1. Let us look once more there. Then I saw, John saw, in the right hand of him who is the Father, who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. There's something mysterious here. This scroll is, is John doesn't go into great deal, detail other than he says that it, it appears to be one of those scrolls like the ancients would do, rolled up and sealed with seven wax seals. Or we can assume that something that marks authority, you must have the proper authority, authorization to break those seals. Kind of a secret document. We can borrow some help from Ezekiel. The Lord Jesus himself gave that prophet a vision of a scroll. Ezekiel 2, verse 8 you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book. The scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and on the back, and it was written on it words of lamentation in mourning and woe. The scroll for Ezekiel was a declaration of judgment. And the scroll again in Revelation is a declaration of judgment. Contained within is the very plan or expression of God's wrath against the sins of man. That's what's going on here. After giving encouragement and correction to the churches, 
John sees a vision where God is about to present judgment upon sin. And most people should be going, gulp. Because within these we're going to see, maybe not this morning, but we certainly will see this next week, words of lamentation, words of mourning, and words of woe. But unlike Ezekiel's scroll, this scroll is sealed. It's representing perfect, complete authority. Someone must be authorized to open this, declare it, and carry it out. Who shall that be? Let's look at verse 2. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Scripture tells us that a call is sent out. Who is worthy? At first, no one steps forward. John begins to weep. Why is John crying? He knows the message is deeply important. He knows the message is needed. People need to hear what is to be proclaimed. It's almost as if the the gospel cannot be proclaimed. And his heart is breaking because he knows God's truth is important to know. The scroll contains God's holy, righteous, and just declaration. And John's heart breaks. Two points I'd like to draw out of this brief passage quickly. The hearts of God's prophets should be so passionate to preach God's truth. The hearts of God's prophets, his preachers, should have the passion to preach God's truth as though they were weeping. Preach his word and do not apologize. Do not hold back. Preach it correctly. Preach it accurately. Preach it faithfully. I've heard it attributed to Augustine. I've heard it attributed to Calvin. I've heard it attributed to Spurgeon. I'm not sure who originally said it. But there is a term or a phrase or a quote The word of God is like a lion. You don't need to defend a lion. All you need to do is turn it loose. There aren't very many preachers who are doing that anymore. They are apologizing for the Bible. And they should not be. So the first point, preach his word and do not apologize. Do not hold back. Preach it passionately. Or preach it compassionately. And the second point, elders in the church should know the word of God. Here John was weeping, crying, and it's it's almost like they turned to, brother, wait, 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 calm down, calm down. We know what's about to happen. They were familiar with the prophecy. They knew what was going to happen. Elders in the church 
just like elders in glory should know the word of the Lord. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. These elders were aware of God's plan. We just got through singing, Rejoice, the Lord is King. And many of those verses were drawn right from the book of Revelation. Verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb. Here is the Son of God. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, you remember I spoke earlier about the term after this. It's not chronological suggestion. It is, Lord, it is John, I'm going to tell you this, and then I'm going to tell you this. You to teach to people, you teach the church what I tell you. We saw in Revelation 1, John sees the appearance of the Lord Jesus himself, and he is in his glorified state. You remember the description? Arms or legs and feet like bronze like shining bronze, eyes of fire, hair as white as wool. It scared John to see him. But now we see a vision of the Son of God. The description is different. Now he appears as one who is meek, one who is wounded, even one who is scarred. So what is it? When did it happen? John is teaching us different lessons about the Lord. He's not saying this happened and then this happened and this happened. He's teaching us lessons about the word of God and what we are to expect and what we are to think of our heavenly father. So after this does not point us to what happens next. It's not chronology. There are lessons that John has given one right after the other. This is what else you must understand. This is what else you must know. Revelation 13, 8 describes this lamb as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The apostle Peter also suggests or teaches that with the precious blood of Christ in 1 Peter 1, 19, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So these are some facts we need to consider as we understand Revelation. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father for he has conquered. He has become our redeemer. He has become our savior. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out from all the earth. If you remember from our previous lesson, seven spirits as well as seven horns and seven eyes, these are, this is the Holy Spirit 
We see the triune God. We've seen God the Father on the throne. We see the Son appear in the form of the Lamb. We see the Holy Spirit who has authority represented by horns and who has knowledge, omniscience of all things represented of his eyes. This is not some weird depiction, although the vision may have been a little strange and it's a little strange to our thoughts, but that's what it's teaching us. It doesn't mean that when we see Jesus, we're going to be ooh, 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 ooh. It's teaching us his authority. It's teaching us his responsibility. It's teaching us his omniscience, his omnipresence, his power. Verse 7, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, as part of worship, we see anywhere in Scripture when it talks about worship, there is always praise, of course. There is always music. And there is always prayer. In the Old Testament tabernacle or the Old Testament temple, incense was used within the tabernacle and the temple, symbolically representing the prayers of the people. And so we're seeing that even here, that the prayers of God's people are seen, are heard, are sensed in heaven. Scripture repeatedly reminds us to trust our Lord, our sovereign Lord, in all things as he exercises sovereign authority against sin and rebellion. The events in this world will produce more and more anxiety. We see it now. And we have seen it for generations. We've just gotten so accustomed to it, we're almost numb to some of the things that God has already begun. But we shall see it more and more as this world, in rebellion against him, refuses to acknowledge his existence, refuses to receive his word. He will give them over to their own passions, their own lusts, Romans 1, 18 and 19. We will see the results of that. And as we see the results of that, I don't have to explain it to you. We're seeing it now. Just turn on the news. It is insanity. It is craziness. It is according to his will. What? You sow that you will also reap. God has promised that from the very beginning, and we are seeing its fulfillment. You sow righteousness, you will reap blessing. You sow wickedness, you will reap destruction. That's what we are seeing. And we shouldn't be anxious about it. We shouldn't be fearful. We should know that this is what God has declared to take place. And he wants us to trust him in all of this. You know, we say it every Sunday. Some of us get here and we start to take a nap and we almost say it in our sleep. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what we are praying when we say that? We are praying for God's kingdom, his righteousness, his holiness. That is the answer to that prayer. You remember Daniel, that honored prophet in the Old Testament? The Lord honored Daniel because Daniel was faithful in prayer. When they made prayer illegal, Daniel disobeyed the government. And he kept praying. And they put him in the lion's den. And he lived. Daniel was honored by the Lord because he was faithful in prayer while he and his whole nation of Israel were in captivity and ruled by an idolatrous king. All right, I'm going to paraphrase that. Daniel was honored by the Lord because he was faithful in prayer while he and the whole nation of Israel were in captivity, captivity and ruled by the Antichrist. God's still going to watch over his people. God will still watch over his faithful ones. Be faithful. Be consistent. Be true to him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are the kinds of prayers the Lord hears. These are the prayers that come before his throne. Verse 9, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a king of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He was faithful in redemption. He was faithful in his life. He provided a sinless sacrifice, perfect obedience in life. We receive his, we receive his obedient righteousness as our own by faith. And we are safe from the wrath of God that was poured out upon him that we deserve. And because of that, this one is declared worthy to judge. Some of you might be getting used to the idea that he will judge. It might be new to your thoughts, to your understanding. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's talking about the son. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He is redeemer, he is liberator, he is justifier, he is judge. We miss this truth because we love to cherry pick the special verses that make us feel comfortable and give us peace and make us feel happy. But we need to be honest with what is before us in God's word. The Lord Jesus himself in the Gospel of John shared, The Father judges no one. This is Jesus talking. The same one The same faithful apostle who wrote Revelation wrote this gospel, this account from the Lord himself. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Do you ever notice that before? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father and who... does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. What the Lord himself prophesied, we are seeing fulfilling, being fulfilled in Revelation 4 and 5. Christ has ascended to the throne. He has taken the scroll from his father's hand and he is about to break the seals to explain how this world will be judged. Have I got your attention yet? Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. We love that about our Lord. We love that about our God. But that verse also says, says, He by no means clears the guilty. They will be punished. And quite frankly, I don't mean this to be unkind. It is worth rejoicing to know that God keeps his word. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Here is the champion who has come into the arena. Here's the Lord of glory who has conquered sin and death and delivered redemption to his saints, to his children. And all of heaven is shouting and singing and praising him. He is about to take 
that scroll and start breaking the seals and telling us the results of the sin of man. I heard verse 13 of Revelation 5. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. All of creation praises him for this. Everything and everyone praises him for this, except those who do not believe. But all that belong to him praises him for this. I don't mean or want to suggest that it seems like the application is a little vague because we like scripture to give us something to do. How do we apply it to the way we live? I've already said it, read it twice before, and the application is just in your understanding. As you go home today, as you see everything in this world going on, know, understand, God is still in control and he is orchestrating every bit of it. Do not fear. Do not think, well, he's lost control. He's not. No. He has not lost control. He is orchestrating every bit of it. Scripture repeatedly reminds us to trust our sovereign Lord in all things as he exercises sovereign authority against sin and rebellion. That's what he is doing. We need to understand this. This is how we're going to, we're not applying it to our practice, we're applying it to our understanding. As he exercises sovereign authority against sin and rebellion, the events in this world will produce more and more anxiety. If you don't see that, if you don't understand that God is in control, you're going to get fearful, you're going to get anxious, you're going to get stressed. You're going to get worried, and that's nothing that any of his children should have concern about. So there's your application. The mercy of God is worthy of our praise. The grace of God is worthy of our praise. The judgment of God is worthy of our praise. It is righteous judgment. It is proper judgment. It is necessary judgment. And we are waiting for it to take place. We must, we need to trust him. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for this day and for giving us your son, our savior, our king, our Lord. And we pray this morning that as we worship you, you may speak to our hearts, instruct our minds, encourage our faith that we might be courageous in our lives for you.
It is for you we live. It is in you we trust. And we know, as it is promised in Scripture, that you shall never put your child to shame. And with this, we are so thankful. In the name of Jesus, whom we adore, amen.